Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from February 14th by Pastor Randy, titled, Reset, How to Reconnect with God, Part 4. All right, what we have said over the past couple of weeks is that everything, everything in a Christian life is centered around that connection to God. Everything is. It's about knowing him. It's about hearing his voice. It's about wanting to be in his presence. It's all about that connection that we have with God. And we've also said the past several weeks is that it's obvious is that our culture, our Christian culture is in a place where people aren't connected to God. I mean, you have to see that. It has to be obvious because we have a group of Christians or as a whole, as Christians, we're concerned about the worries of the world. We've got immorality going on within our churches. We've got broken marriages going on within our churches. There's, there's no love. There's no humility. I mean, you have to see and you have to be able to acknowledge that, yes, we have lost that connection to God. And what we have said, if you want to get that back, if you want to regain that connection to God, three things need to happen. Number one, you need to allow the Word of God to penetrate your heart. Number two, it begins in praying, not just praying about physical things, but about spiritual things. And number three, you have to be connected to the body because we can't be connected to God if we're not connected to one another. But those things aren't easy. I mean, they sound easy. I mean, because if, if, if I just ask you, you know, what are ways that we are to be connected to God? If I was just to ask you out of blue or ask you two years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago, you would have said, well, prayer, word, and the church. You know, those three things are there. It seems easy, but it's not. You know what's easy? Easy is just opening up your Bible every so often, reading a little bit, making a check off the list, and never allowing the word of God to penetrate your heart. Hebrews says it's, it's, it's a living and abiding. It's, it's able to, to pierce our very hearts, but we don't even allow that to happen. Because we just want to read something and check it off the list. You know what's easy? Easy is when you pray just to give God your list. God, here's what I'd like for you to do. God, please do this, bless him, and do this, and do this. Without ever taking time to ask God to open up the eyes of your heart so that we may see the, the glories of our salvation, that we may see and understand the power of the resurrection and how that resurrection power should be working in us. You know what easy is? Easy is when there's somebody else in the church that you don't like, you just ignore them and don't pay them any mind, and you never learn how to love. You see, because we've been doing easy for so many years, we sort of drifted away from that connection to God. Because when people start drifting away from being connected to God, they never just start shaking their fist at God to walk away. It's always a, a subtle. It's just a change of values, a change of priorities, putting things in a little bit different order in their life. And this is something that I fear. I fear waking up one day, needing that connection with God, needing to hear his voice, needing to have his presence in my life, and it's gone. And I didn't even realize that it's gone. It's just not there. I fear having drifted away from that and there's whole wind up with this whole dark side of my life. I fear this because I see it happen to so many people. Because when you drift away from that connection to God, it's never sudden. People can drift away from God and everything on the outside even looks the same. They don't know it. Nobody else knows it. Take Solomon, for example. 
God appeared to him twice. And this was not like, oh, I think I see Jesus' face, this taco here, something like that. No, appeared in his presence twice. He saw the, the glory of God come down and fill the temple. And he started drifting away from God after that to the point where he had no desire to be in the presence of God anymore. What did he do? He wound up building temples, all these fake gods everywhere and worshiping them. See, everybody who drifts away from God has this in common. They never thought they would. You can unintentionally drift away from God, but you can't unintentionally reset, restore that connection with him. You can unintentionally start drifting away from God, but you don't, you don't begin that connection again unless you intend to. And that's what we've been talking about in the past couple of weeks. You want to connect with God, it will cost you. There's going to be a cost involved. So we had this. To remind ourselves to put things in a different order. And when we put, want to put things in our life in a different order, it's going to cost us. The O, obtaining anything significant involves losing something else. We're going to talk about that again today. Reevaluate what matters most. We'll hit that uh, some next week. Do not let anything that ultimately means nothing keep you from experiencing what means everything. In other words, keep the distractions out of your life. The screens, nothing's that distract you. And then the E, eliminate, don't compensate. And then this one, revolutionize how you define a win. That's what Moses did. We talked about Moses. He had to completely revolutionize how he defined a win in his life. In order to connect with God, he said, I've got to totally change what I consider win in my life in order to connect with God. Moses wasn't the only one who had to make that choice. Paul had to make that choice too. Look what Paul says about his life in Philippians 3. He says, circumcise the eighth day. You know what that was considered? In Israel life, a win. So he could put a check mark, win there. Of the nation of Israel, that's another win. The tribe of Benjamin, another win. A Hebrew, born of Hebrews, another win. Regarding the law of Pharisee, that's a big win. Regarding zeal, persecuting the church, that's another big win from their standpoint. Regarding the righteous, that is in the law, blameless. Big check mark. Win. Everything in this life Paul looked at, it was all a win. Couldn't get any better than that. But Paul had to come to a decision. Next verse. But everything that was gained to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. Do you see what he's saying? All this stuff was a win. I just dumped it all. Why? So I could be connected to Christ so I could know him. You want to be connected to Christ? It will cost you something. You cannot come and have that connection without a cost. It's going to be there. What we're going to look at this week is back at the beginning of this. Uh, that, oh, obtaining anything significant involves losing something else. We started looking at that last week. 
Obtaining anything significant involves losing something else. We know this, especially in the world of athletics. The Olympics coming up, if they wind up having Olympics, you have any gold medal athlete, they had decided to lose something in order to be able to win that gold medal. They may have had to give up Twinkies, or worse than that, Oreos. Or they may have had to, to, to give up sleeping late or lazy Saturdays. I promise you, you go to any of your teams that have a championship ring on them, whatever sport it is, some of those people on the team, they decide to give up their families or their, their, their kids in order to win. Some people decide to, to give up winning an argument for a sacred relationship. Some people decide to give up sweets in order to gain health. In our culture today, you have some people that choose to give up an income. So instead of having a two-parent income, one of them will stay home because they consider being with the kids more important than the income. So they give an income in order to be with the kids. What we see is that if you want to be connected to Christ, you're going to have to have a sacrifice. If you want to obtain that connection, you, it's going to involve losing something else. Jesus was always up front with this, that if you want to connect with him, you're going to have to lose in certain areas. There are things you just have to lose. Last week we saw where he said, if you want to follow me, you want to connect with me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And what we said is that you can't live in Meville and be connected to God at the same time. doesn't work that way. So Jesus was always letting people know, you want to connect with me? It's going to cost you something. In fact, a lot of people stopped following after Jesus because they didn't want to pay that price. So we're going to look in Luke chapter 14 today. That's going to be the verses we're going to focus on for the rest of the service today. And as we look at that, I want you to keep three things in mind. Number one, we make heroes out of people that have left everything to follow Jesus. But Jesus never expected people like that to be a rarity in his church. He expected his church to be filled with people like that. Number two, we're going to see where Jesus does what Christine was talking about earlier. He's going to, to tell people that they need to love him supremely more than family, that they need to deny themselves, take up their cross, and they need to be ready to, to just get rid of all their stuff, to not, not hold on to anything. Now, here's what you need to understand. When Jesus demands these things, if you want to connect with me, you have to be able to do these three things. He's not talking to people who's been following him around for a couple of years and say, well, if you want to be a stronger Christian, this is the step you have to take. No, these are people who had just started, who just come on the scene, and this is initial invitation to them. In other words, as far as Jesus is concerned, you want to connect with him, here's the starting point. Have we lost the idea of what it means to be a Christian? What it means to be a follower of Christ. And the, the, the third thing is this. Jesus was always asking people for this commitment. And if people weren't willing to, to make that commitment, he didn't chase after them and say, oh, can, can we negotiate something from here? Can we just work out a compromise? No, he said, these are my terms. If you don't agree to my terms, you just can't be connected to me. So it begs the question, have you ever come to Jesus on his terms? 
Let's look at the first part. Luke 14, 25 and 26. And what we're going to see from this is that if you want to be connected to Jesus, it requires a superior love. Here's what we read. Now, great crowds were traveling with him. So he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So Jesus saying, you want to connect with me? It's going to require a superior love. And this is hyperbole he's using here. You know, he, he taught us to, to love one another. He's not certain to say we should hate our own family. It's hyperbole. What he is saying is that your love for me should be so supreme that your love for others in your life is going to appear as hate. See, I can't love my wife as Christ loved the church as I'm commanded as a husband in Ephesians if I don't love Christ supremely. We've lost sight of this. I would say for the most part, our Christian culture is unfamiliar with a love like that. Do you remember that lady that came, or lady, her name was Mary, and she came and took this jar of very costly perfume and broke it open and poured it out on Jesus, anointing him before his burial? And disciples saw that and saw that she was taking this, this jar, this very expensive perfume, and, and just pouring it on Jesus, and they began to mumble themselves, what a waste. Jesus says, no, 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 that's not a waste. See, he saw it differently. He understood that this love for, for him had welled up inside of Mary. And lip service wasn't enough. She had to give. And part of it wasn't enough. She had to give all of it. And the cheap wasn't enough. She had to give the expensive. Now, most of us have never known giving like that because most of us have never known love like that. What happens to us is that we become a, uh, people who loving like that becomes hard for us. For example, I can't read the Bible every day. That's just hard for me to do. It's just hard for me to read the Bible. Or praying. Sometimes praying is just hard for me to do. Or being in church, sometimes that's just hard for me to do. The New Testament knows nothing of a begrudging obedience like that. Suppose this week I come home after work, walk upstairs, find Lisa, and just wrap my arms around her and give her this long, passionate kiss. You know, not a little, no, no, I'm talking about, you know, long, you know, 30 seconds, minute long, passionate kiss. And finally, I let go of the lip lock, and she stands back. She goes, what was that for? And I go, well, I've been reading this marriage manual, and it says on page 7 that once every two months, you should passionately kiss your wife. And I decided that's what I have to do. Not, you know, it's not really something I want to do. You know, it's not really something I, it's kind of hard for me to do that, but I decide that's what I'm going to do. Do you think that's going to impress her at all? Yeah. <laughs> okay. True. Probably not make the right impression. Uh, but that's what we do. We have this begrudging obedience to God. 
You see, we're called to forgive, and that should be hard for us. That should be a delight for us, a joy that we have an opportunity to do that. We're called to, to be patient. We're called to endure, and those things shouldn't be a begrudging obedience to us. Oh, that's just so hard. Do you think Mary thought this is so hard when she took that jar of perfume and broke it over Jesus' head? No. She was delighted to have the opportunity. She thought she had something to give. Because of that love for Jesus that welled up inside of her, she wanted to do something. And that's what he's talking about here, that our love for him is going to be so up there, so supreme, that our love for others is going to appear as hate. See, the question that drives this, we have to come from this verse, is that do we love Christ like that? And here's the thing, if, if you just give Jesus leftover affection, you don't have that connection. You can put that on a coffee cup. Leftover affection leads to no connection, right? We could sell that, Luke 14, 26. Sell that. But, but here's the thing, and what we, need to, what we need to understand from these verses, the very best way I can love my family is to love Christ first, is to put him supremely. But we don't look at it that way. Because we have this whole Christian culture that that's, has become disconnected from God. Second thing, if you want to connect with Jesus, you're going to have to uh, have this loyalty to him. He says, verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, we talked about this last week, so we won't spend a, a whole lot of time here. He says, deny yourself and take up your cross. And what he means is that you, you're, as far as you're concerned, your life is good as over. You, you don't even look in the direction of yourself anymore. This is another one of those things that because we drift away from God, we just don't understand. We, we just don't grasp See, our creator knows that our best life is not found in self-fulfillment, how we can do the best things for ourselves. It's found in self-denial. Because you can give your life to self-fulfillment, and it's going to lead to emptiness. But if you give your life to the gospel and to Christ, that doesn't lead to emptiness. That leads to fullness. I don't, know it doesn't make a whole lot of sense sometimes to think if you empty yourself you, for the gospel's sake that then you finally experience life, what abundant life is all about. But that's the way the gospel works. Think of it this way. You want to make your life all about you? You know, you're 60, 70 years old. Everything's paid for. Everything's insured. You know, everything's about you. Or, or you want to think, you know, so what if you can fit into the jeans you wore in college. If everything's about you, no matter what stage of life you're in, if it's all about you, you get to the end of your life, it's all about you. You're not a big enough reason to live for. Not at all. You're going to be very disappointed if you made life all about you. Jesus says if that happens, it becomes a total loss. When you make your life all about you, a total loss. But when you live for him and his purposes, oh, that's where the fulfillment comes. You become connected to him. And then in this passage, we get these two parables. For which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, after he's laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to ridicule him. 
I read ahead, sorry. Uh, saying, this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Love these parables. See, Jesus is warning against a hasty emotional decision to follow him. He says, count the cost. Because oftentimes what we do today, oh, you want to be a follower of Christ? You want to be a Christian? If you just believe he died on the cross and rose again from dead, you're in. Even Satan believes that. But Jesus is saying, there's a cost involved. You have to be willing to count the cost. One of my favorite authors is R.W. Stott. Let me read you what he says. He says, the Christian landscape is strewn with the wreckage of derelict half-built towers, the ruins of those who began to build and were, were unable to finish. For thousands of people still ignore Christ's warning and undertake to follow him without first pausing to reflect on the cost of doing so. The result is the great scandal of Christendom today, so-called nominal Christianity. In countries to which Christian civilization has spread, large numbers of people have covered themselves with a decent but thin veneer of Christianity. They have allowed themselves to become somewhat involved, enough to be respectable, but not enough to be uncomfortable. Their religion is a great soft cushion. It protects, protects them from the hardness and pleasance of life while changing its place and shape to suit their convenience. No wonder the cynics speak of hypocrites in a church and dismiss religion as escapism. See, Jesus never told these parables so that we might say the cost is too great. He told these parables so that we may count the cost, but, but come at all cost. We are to be a people who are involved in building, building towers and also battling. Let me put it this way. In the context of parables, if we're not willing to love Jesus supremely, if we're not willing to take up our cross, if we're not willing, as we'll see in just a minute, to, to let loose of our possessions, then there will be no growth and there will be nothing but compromise with the enemy. See, the Christian life is meant to be that of building and battling. We see that example of Nehemiah. They had in one hand the tools for building the wall, in the other hand a sword or a spear for battling, one building and one battling. Jesus said, upon this rock I'll build my church. That's building, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's battling. We're to be involved in the Christian life with building and battling because the other alternative, no growth and compromise with the enemy. See, there's a big difference between a wartime faith and a peacetime faith. When you have somebody who's involved in war, they're doing whatever they can to make advancements. They're doing whatever they can to take on the enemy, to not lose ground, but to gain ground. It's a whole different mindset. It's a mindset of sacrifice, whatever we can do to gain ground. But in peacetime, what's the concern? It's about my comfort. Which one, which one would, would fit with our Christians today? 
Here's a good example of this. Okay, what ship is that? Anybody know? Yeah, what well does it? But it's, it's the Queen Mary. All right, Queen Mary was built in the early 1900s, bigger than the Titanic. It was built as a luxury crew liner for the wealthy. Could carry 3,000 wealthy patrons on board. Decked out. World War II came. They converted Queen Mary into this, a troop transport. Not 3,000 wealthy patrons, but 15,000 troops they were put on there. Completely different mindset. Right now, you can go visit the Queen Mary if you'd like. It's in Long Beach, California. It's a hotel and a museum. So you can go check in the hotel there, but you can go as a museum. You can go in and you can see rooms like this, like was set up, you know, back then for luxury. You can also go and you can see rooms where they have bunks, sometimes eight high in a room. And sometimes even two or three deep. For convenience, so you might be the guy, you know, you're on the fifth level, but you're three deep. So you got to climb up and then roll in bed. Can you imagine having to get out and use the bathroom at that middle of the night if you had problems? You know, and that. Get three other people to roll down to bed, then you got to climb down the bunks to do it. All right. Completely different spot. And that sort of symbolizes the approach to Christianity, how it's changed today. Because we've lost that connection to God and it's evident. Why? There's no growth. And we're just compromising with the enemy. We have this peacetime approach about us. But Jesus says the Christian life is supposed to be about building, about growth, about, about battling, about winning over the enemy, not, not compromising. And the third thing, that's two, the third, he says this, in the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. Now, I can't find any way to soften this up. You have to be willing to let loose of your stuff. But I can show you what this looks like. Okay, here's an example of what it looks like in Hebrews 10, 34. For you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions because you know that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. So the writer of Hebrews is writing these Christians where the government's coming in and taking all their stuff, which might not be far away for us. And they said, fine, take our stuff. That's not what our life is about anyway. The second illustration of this, we read this a couple weeks ago in, in Hebrews. Well, you'll take my word for it. We're locked up there. Uh, for he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since he was looking ahead to the reward. Moses who said, look, I got all these treasures of Egypt, but I'd rather be connected to Christ. We can go ahead and, and 
cut that off if you want. C.S. Lewis, this is a quote. You've all heard this before many times, but it's one of, one of my favorite quotes. He says this, We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. And then he says this, which ought to pierce us. He says, we are far too easily pleased. And so because we drifted away from that connection, we get involved in, in life's all about stuff. We get excited about stuff and new stuff and more stuff. And, and, and what, what he's making the point is we're far too easily pleased. If we just understood what all we have with a connection to God, that stuff wouldn't mean anything to us. So would you rather go play out here during breakup and play in the mud and slush or would you ever go to Hawaii and be on a beach and play in that water? Which would you rather play in? And that's the comparison that he's making. Because when you understand about that connection, the stuff in life doesn't even come close. When you understand about that connection, the people in your life, they don't even come close to that because it's so much greater. When you have that connection, then even your own life doesn't seem like it's worth anything. Everything, everything centers around him and that connection. That's the Christian life. That's what being connected to God looks like. And when you get to that point, you won't go, oh, I had to give up this. I had to give up that. You'll go, no. What I got in return, the greatest joy, and we'll see this next week, the greatest joy is in Christ. Giving up all this stuff is like nothing compared to that. That's what life is going to look like in heaven, and that will be the life you've always wanted and dreamed of. So, people drift away from God without knowing it, but people don't drift or don't come back into a connection with God unless they intend to, unless they're willing to pay a price, because it will cost you. And there you have it. That's where Jesus would lead the crowd so often. You cannot be my disciple unless. You cannot be my disciple unless. You have a choice. Those were his terms. And his terms have not changed at all. They're just as real to us today as they were to the people back then. As he was talking to people who may have had maybe one other or two other change of clothes at most. It's just as real to us when we got a closet full of clothes. And we can go on with the comparison. I'm just saying that it's just as real to us, if not more real than it was to them. But you got to ask a question. Do you want to pay the price? It will cost. But if you refuse to, understand there won't be any growth and you'll wind up compromising with the enemy. That's just what happens when you refuse to connect with God. Your Christian growth stops, and then all of a sudden, in some area of your life, you're compromising with the enemy. Not what we should be about today. 
We so desperately need that connection. We so desperately need to reconnect with him. And some of you, you started, you started allowing the God, God's word to come into your life and to penetrate your heart. And, and, and it begins to awaken something inside of you. But don't stop there. Keep going. Keep sacrificing. Keep pursuing. Because it's worth it. And you may have to give up sleep or Twinkies or can we do Sprite instead of Dr. K? Uh, like that better. Or something. You may have to give up playing the games. You will have to give up something. I promise you, it will cost you something. There is no such thing as a no-cost discipleship. It doesn't exist. It will cost you. You have to decide, is Christ worth it? Is that connection worth it? Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.